you survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Black Man with a Gun podcast. Sponsored by the faithful members of the Urban Shooter Association and CrossbreedHolsters.com. Makers of the most comfortable inside-the-waistband holster by some of the nicest people in America. On this episode, Barbara Baird interviews one of the baddest shooters there is, Julie Gullup, champion, hunter, author, veteran, over 115 championship titles, 37 world and national titles. I'm telling you, she's off the hook. And for you patriots, Mrs. M is back with some mother wit from our feisty senior citizen. And this month starts a special series called Why Guns? So this is going to be Why Guns Part 1 and Zombie Strike number 104. And I'm still kind of feeling a little Halloweenish, so uh, how about this? Still got the right podcast. I was still had a little leftover Halloween in me, so I had to do that. You know, during this month, while we're celebrating All Saints Day, All Souls Day, Daylight Savings Time here on east of the Mississippi, Election Day, a full moon this month, the Marine Corps Birthday, Veterans Day, Guy Fawkes Day, Armistice Day, Thanksgiving, and the Hajj, and can't forget the Islamic New Year, maybe even your day. We're going to talk about why guns. And uh, before I get to all that, if, if you want to reach me for any reason, for contact, for critique, for, you know, whatever, you can call me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm your friend and your brother from a different mother, Ken Blanchard. And you can contact me at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. And you can leave me a voicemail, toll free, 888-675-0202. I'd be glad to hear from you. You know, no all joking aside, I do appreciate the opportunity to pray for you and to do things on the side. So thank you for allowing me to be the pastor of Patriots, Pistoleros, and Paladins. And let's get uh, John Wayne in here and get episode number 242 cranking, if that's all right with you. Here we go. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hey, this week, celebrating my son's birthday, and Frank uh, takes me back, you know, the making of a father. 
know, their little baby. I remember when I um, I just got back home from training. I was out in the field, and uh, we were running a class through some tactical stuff, and I was beat down. Wife was two weeks overdue, and uh, I was whooped. The long drive was long. Got back home, took a hot shower, put on some fresh clothes, and laid down. She was already in the bed. I thought, yeah, this bed feels so good. And then her water broke. Then she said, I got to go. So we loaded up the car, and off we went. And I stood there holding her hand as she went to labor, holding her hand holding her hand and holding her hand till I almost fell asleep standing up and uh, the sun was coming up and no baby. I finally found out there was a chair in the room and I sat down, fell asleep. Doctor came in and they said, all right, I think it's almost time. So uh, you can go get some coffee and come right back and get ready to go into the uh, delivery room. I said, okay, fine. Went down and got some coffee, threw some water on my face, came back upstairs, and I saw them wheeling her down the hallway. It was an emergency. They, the baby's heartbeat had dropped or something crazy, and I was, oh, man. They said, well, you can't go. Just wait. We'll come back and get you. And I waited, and I waited, and <clears throat> I was knocked out. Next thing I know, I hear on the loudspeaker, uh, Mr. Blanchard, your son is in the hallway. I looked up from our stupor, and I was like, what's that joker doing in the hallway? My son. Ah, jumped up, ran in the hallway. I saw this three-foot-tall lady um, holding this giant bundle, and I thought, man, must be two kids under there. But it was my son, and uh, they had put a little blue hat on him, looked like a little smurf. It's kind of cool. And they took him to the room, and it was making them all comfortable and stuff, putting them in a little baby thing. And it was all toasty and warm in there. It was like really nice. And I was just looking at them like, wow, brand new person, fresh out the bakery. And uh, she said, what's his name? And my mind went blank. My wife and I had this name. Well, my wife had this name, funky name. I don't remember what that thing was. It was something like really hard. Oh, yeah. Uh, was it Caleb? No. Carlin. Carlin Alexander. But I couldn't remember that at the time. So I said, uh, uh, Kenneth. Yeah, yeah, that's it. She says, oh, a junior. And I went, uh-oh. See, I'm from the country, and like everybody's name is Junior in my family. But the deal was done. So my wife came out of OR. She says, uh, have you seen him? I said, yeah, I saw him. And the lady says, Kenneth Jr. is just uh, adorable. And my wife looked at me with the face they could launch a ship. I said, yeah, I know. He's a junior too. <whistles> yeah, but it's all right. So, KJ, Dad loves you. Happy birthday, brother. Mrs. M, welcome to the Black Man with a Gun podcast. 
Hello, darling. What's going on this week? Oh, darling, I've been thinking about something. Oh. Well, it was from one of your shows. We talked about this before. When you talk about how uh, gun control is anti-American. Mm-hmm. And it's very true, darling. Very true. And I was thinking, darling, about a year ago, uh, you know, we used to have a lot of uh, drunk drivers. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, in, and uh, we still have them, darling, but it's much, much less today. So years ago, we have a lot of drunk drivers doing all kinds of horrible bad things, you know, because they drink and they drive and it's dangerous and all kinds of horrible things. So these groups get together like uh, mad, you know, mothers against the drunk driving and other groups get together. And so what they do is they punish the drunk driver. Right. They not take away the car. True. So, but telling with these anti-control, these anti-gun people, and these, these gun control, they, they get it backwards, telling. They think you have to take away the guns. But telling, that would be like a take away everybody's car because someone might drink. Ah, that's so true. So, like I said a couple shows ago, we have to put our efforts into going after the bad guys. Yes. It's bad guy control. Bad guy control, darling. Yes, we cannot say enough. Bad guy control. So I like everybody to think about that parallel. And if anybody, you talk to someone and they don't understand about, about how gun control is anti-American, you mentioned that Mrs. M talked about the drunk driving example. Right, with a mad. Yes, darling. Yeah. And how we took away, the, we went after the drunk drivers, not after the cars. Good stuff, Miss M, good stuff. Oh, thank you, darling. Thank you. I think about this one all day, too, just like last week. <laughs> yes, darling. I'm glad you did. Yes, darling. Oh, darling, and I have a good book. Oh, you do? I have a good book to recommend. Okay, what you got? It's called The Term Limits. Term Limits, huh? Yes, darling. It's by Vince Gill. Okay. Oh, Vince he writes Gill. the best books. This book was written about 10 years ago, but could be written today. And it's all about this government in the United States where the president wants will do anything to get re-elected. And he has these people who have been working for him for a long time. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, the senators, they start disappearing. And, uh, and then there's this kind of the hero of the story tries to find out what's happening. And uh, I won't say any more, darling, because it's, uh, it's too good to talk about. But uh, <laughs> it's oh, good to read. Oh, but it's a good book, huh? <laughs> it's a good book to read, darling. It's, it's, uh, it's about, it gives everybody the perspective of, uh, of a Congress having a term limits. But also what happens when someone is in power for too long. Mm. And this goes back to our conversations about the tyranny. Uh, when someone is in a power too long, I don't care if it's, uh, darling, I don't care if it's, a, if it's the Congress or the PTA. If uh, someone's in a position of a power too long, they start stealing ownership of uh, their surroundings. Mm. And they forget to represent the people that they're supposed to represent. Telling, like I say, whether it's a Congress or a PTA, this power, in, you, power for too long is a no good thing. Uh, that's why we have a constitution. Amen. Amen, darling. Yes. Bravo. <laughs> Thank you, Miss M. Okay, darling. I'll see you next week. All right. Until next week, this is Miss M and Ken. Bye bye. Bye bye now. And now, our featured presentation. All right. In this next month, I'm going to pontificate about that new gun, security, safety, the history of the Second Amendment, politics, racism, concealed carry. Gun shows, gun myths, training requirements, gun laws, the best gun for new shooters, fun in shooting, competition, hunting, recreational stuff like all that in a series I called Why Guns. And this is going to be Why Guns Part 1. And maybe it's for 
the non-shooter in your family. Maybe it's for that person that you're trying to get interested in going to the range with you. I'm hoping that this month we give something that helps that person that you're trying to reach. Why guns? Part one. You know, there are a few subjects that can get an emotional response from the broad number of people like the word gun can. And that's why it's used in movies, in the news, and by politicians to get you to move one way or another. Guns are just mechanical devices. They are not magical. They are not alive. They have no power onto themselves. They are sold and traded like gold, though. And sometimes, unfortunately, from my perspective, worshipped. They put a spell on some people. Some people think, if I just get a gun, then all my troubles will be over in this bad neighborhood, in this bad relationship, in this bad economy, and so on and so on. And not so. Guns are designed for work, play, sale, and display. Hollywood, politics, and popular opinion influence the gun world. When you make a decision to buy a gun, you own a gun. To go get a gun, it won't be popular in some circles. You will quickly find out how much you don't know about the gun culture, about politics, about your family, about your friends, and even about yourself. So, why do you want a gun? Guns are almost like snowflakes. No two are exactly alike. Some are closer in similarity than others, but everything that launches bullets out of a barrel is a little different. It is and can be as unique as you. Calibers, barrel lengths, triggers, sights, grips, finishes, makes, and models, and how it works with you make it vary. The recoil, for example, of one gun might be ideal for me, but too light for you. The way the gun feels in my hand versus yours makes a difference. The rounds you use, where you shoot, how often you shoot, what you intend to use your gun for matters. Ownership is not enough. You will need training. And I'll talk about that this month too. So, why guns? So I have just given you a boatload of questions to ask yourself if you're not already in the gun world. Why? So you make all your decisions based on your answers and not somebody else's. It's really easy to listen to your boyfriend, your husband, your girlfriend, or your wife, or your friend and adopt their reasons, but you really should come to your own understanding. It just makes you better. I believe every responsible and sane adult without a criminal record that wants to have a gun should at least have one. Why guns? Because it's fun, doggone it. But the best reason of all is self-defense. It's in the same realm as a fire extinguisher, a smoke detector, the lock on your front door, and your alarm system. You see, you are responsible for your own safety. It doesn't matter where you live or who you are, the police and the government are not responsible for you or your children. You are. Contrary to popular belief, the police have no duty to go into harm's way and save you like Superman does. That's all a myth. That's all comic book stuff. There has been cases that prove what I'm saying, and you can't sue them for not coming to your aid. The gun they carry on their side is for their protection, not yours. I still believe the U.S. is the greatest nation on the planet. But even here, 
Someone is trying to take away the freedom that you have. Freedom is not free. You have to protect what you have. That is why we need a military, a police department, and private citizens to protect themselves. The government takes care of its own, and the responsibility flows down the scale until it reaches you. You are responsible for your own life and your own actions. You will be held accountable for what you do and what you do not do. The police, again, have no legal responsibility to protect you. They, put up your quotations, respond to your calls for help. They do not come before or during the crime. Now, a fire can do a lot of damage in a kitchen in a few minutes. And the right kind of fire extinguisher can smother the fire and save your house. A criminal that enters your personal space can do a lot of damage to you guys in a few minutes. In the time it takes to call 911 and have the police respond on their very best day in the very best circumstance, a lot of damage can be done. A gun can stop that. If you haven't noticed, natural disasters have been on the rise. Power outages, fires, chemical spills, traffic accidents, terrorism, floods, storms, earthquakes, hurricanes, ice have crippled our neighborhoods. So who's standing between you and that criminal predator now? You can't call Ghostbusters. So who are you going to call? You're on your own. When your husband is going on and on about the Second Amendment, going on and on about concealed carry, going on and on about the gun grabbers, what he's really saying and not saying it really well is that he's really into his family. He's really trying to protect you. He knows what's out there and he just not explaining it really well. Guns. They don't go off by themselves. Guns don't kill. Guns. They are not evil. Guns. Having one in your house will not guarantee that you will not have bad stuff happen. But what it does give is a chance. You have, a, you have to choose to defend yourself. You have to choose to learn how to use this firearm. You have to choose to be proficient with it. I know cops that can't hit a mountain with a shotgun with double-odd buck. You can't just hold it and point it and wave the evil away. You must know how to use it. That's what makes it safe. And one of the safest sports that there is because of the training. And that's also what makes it just a tool. Nothing more. But this tool is personal. It has to fit you. It has to be comfortable and familiar to you, or it won't work well. Why guns? Because like me, I hope you are pro-life. Your life. You know, even lambs have teeth. It's not about killing. Guns do not equal murder. Owning one doesn't make you less of a citizen. It won't jeopardize your standing in the church or the synagogue or in temple. It should raise your standing, actually, because you're no longer just a sheep. You might become a sheep dog. You might be elevated to a position of shepherd or protector. Gun ownership, truth be told, is empowering. That's why it's such a big deal in America. It's freedom. If a country will allow its citizens arms then it's not going to try to dictate to them. 
If a man or woman hands you a gun, they consider you an equal or a friend. It's not about guns. It's about freedom. Freedom to live, love, learn, do, and be who and whatever you want to be. And it's not a white boy thing either. It's a freedom thing. You know, a slaveholder would never give a gun to a slave. Anybody that tells you that you don't need a gun is probably a hypocrite. Check this out. It's a normal sunny day and you're on your way to work. A tractor trailer carrying hazardous materials, jackknifes on the highway, taking out a power line. And the stuff in the truck is carrying is some bad stuff. They have to evacuate the area two miles from the accident. You're only a few blocks from home and you have to leave your car on the side of the road and run back home. You make it back home and find out that the stuff has killed some people and contaminated all the stores downwind of the spill. Now, the authorities tell you that for the next three or four days, you're going to have to stay in your house. And people are coping with it for the first day. Even then, some are getting antsy. Being all home all day with no power. You hear there's been a lot of looting already. The police are brought in to seal off the town and pre- prevent more damage. Can you protect yourself until civilization gets back to normal? What if a gang, a crackhead, or even your ex thinks this is a good time to take from you, hurt you? The next night, you hear this. There was a home invasion right down the street from where you live at the elderly people's house, and the police never came. You have two more nights of this, at least, if things go as promised. You see, gun ownership at this point is not academic, political, or theoretical. So what are you going to do? You see, at this point, you can't go find a gun or buy one. You have to already have had one and have enough ammunition along with food, water, and supplies you may need to carry on. This is real. Why guns? Because it makes sense. And no politician or personality can make that decision for you if you're a law-abiding American citizen that is still free. That is why I advocate having one in a home. And if your state allows it, to carry one on your person whenever you can. And nobody should know. Having one just gives you options. It just gives you a chance to survive. It just gives you a tool to use. Biblically, Jesus okayed the carrying of staves when he sent them two by two, the disciples, I mean, to work. Self-defense is not a sin or a crime. It's prudent. It's righteous. From what I found, at least up to 170 A.D., the early church did not specifically address the issue of war and self-defense. No nation could retain its liberty or preserve the lives of its citizens if it were not prevented from maintaining any sort of army for its defense. It's therefore reasonable to conclude that the right of self-defense is a prerogative of its people. Self-defense is not something that needs to be taught to people, but is part of our natural reaction to danger. Self-defense comes natural to all animals and even some plants. And the only reason we get beat up about religion and our self-defense pro-gun beliefs is that we're not really sure the whole God thing ourselves. And I'm speaking mostly to church people. And I'll talk about that more later. All right, next week, 
on Why Guns Part 2, Gun Control and the History of the Second Amendment. We're going to hit on the racist roots and some good stuff like that. And I hope you come back to hear it. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at crossbreedholsters.com. Don't forget crossbreedholsters.com. Hoggerwatches.com. In the northwestern city of Maryland, known as Hagerstown, a new watch company begins. The watch is called Hogger. It is designed by a U.S. veteran, a watch aficionado, a patriot that wanted to leave his mark in history, offering a quality watch for the active person that didn't break the bank. Automatic movement, water resistant to three atmospheres. The Commando features a unique fighting knife logo on the back and the Urban Commando look. It's not too big and looks at home both in the office or in the field. Hoggerwatches.com. Get yours today. And here is my sister Barbara with her interview with Julie G. Hey, Black Man with a Gun. This is Barbara Baird, Women's Outdoor News. Today I'm on the phone with Julie Golub, captain of Team Smith & Wesson, who has experienced a phenomenal year in competitive shooting. Welcome, Julie, and please, will you tell us about some of your highlights so far this past year? Go ahead, blow your own horn. (laughs) Thanks so much. Yeah, it's been a great year. It started out good and and got even better. Uh, I shoot for Smith & Wesson, as you mentioned, um, but I'm also signed with Benelli this year, so I had the opportunity to try out a new shooting sport, which is multi-gun, three-gun shooting, and I've had so much fun and am learning a lot. And, of course, I haven't quit my day job. I'm a handgun girl, so I've been competing in a, a lot of handgun matches, and I've medaled at every single one and was able to bring home two national titles uh, at the USPSA back-to-back nationals, the Revolver Championships and the Production Championships in the ladies category. Very good. Very good. Congratulations on that. And I heard that you did really well at the World Shoot in Greece, too. Yes, that was a lot of fun. Um, Crossed the the ocean and headed out to Greece and uh, shot with some amazing women. I was on the ladies' Mm -hmm. production team with Kippy Latham, Sarah Donovan, and Maggie Reese. And we brought home the silver medal. Yep. (laughs) And then I also took the silver medal in the individual event as well. Very nice. Okay. Well, hey, um, I'm thinking about something else here because recently, I think it was November 1st, wasn't it, you announced that you actually squealed when you saw your name listed as an author at Amazon.com. And that made me laugh a little bit because I always picture you as unflinching and a super cool woman. And then it was really fun to hear, to read about your other side, this little squeal thing going on. You want to talk to us about that? Uh, sure. Um, you know, the, the whole book writing thing has been something I've tackled like a to-do list. It's been a checkbox kind of thing. You know, it's like, okay, write it. Okay, get the pictures. Um, everything has been just a step-by-step process. But when I saw my name as like an author and there's a book on Amazon.com, it, it, it just all suddenly came together like a puzzle and it just made me so excited. 
as it should. And the title, please? The title is Shoot, Your Guide to Shooting in Competition. Mm -hmm. And it will be out for our readers to, to order. It's available for pre-order now, and the official okay. publishing date is April 2012, but I hear that copies may be even available as soon as January. Wouldn't that be sweet? Especially for that would be great. Shot show timing <laughs> and that publicity. And you know, it's being published by one of the best in the industry, too. Skyhorse. Exciting stuff. Yes, it yes. definitely is. Skyhorse, Smith & Wesson, Benelli. This doesn't get any better than that. So, hey, if people want to know, you know, what's going on in your life and what's your latest adventure or where you've been hunting lately, because we know that you're an avid huntress as well as a shooter, um, how can they do that, Julie? Uh, pretty much you can find everything you need to know about me on uh, my website. That's juliegollub.com. It has links to my social media, my Flickr, my Twitter, my YouTube, and, of course, my blog. So uh, I try to keep people updated and uh, let them know what's going on. All right. Well, hey, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. And um, don't forget to read more about Julie and follow Julie with her trailers and her videos and great photos all the time posted, seems like regularly, almost weekly, at her blog, juliegollub.com. And also remember that you can uh, check in and see what Julie's doing at womensoutdoornews.com with her own blog post there. You're a one gun called Julie G at Women's Outdoor News, where we feature news, reviews, and stories about women in the outdoors. And thanks, Ken. Thank you, Barbara. And thanks, Julie G., for being a part of the Black Man with a Gun podcast. Do you have a copy of the book, Black Man with a Gun? A responsible gun ownership manual for African Americans. It's a good primer for the activist. Makes a great gift for the new shooter. Gives you instant cool points. Get your autographed copy today on KenBlanchard.com. Zombie Strike. This used to be an extreme sport watched by millions around the world. We hunted zombies on a man-made island in the South Pacific. Well, that was then. This is now. Part 10, Chapter 104, Odessa, Ukraine, 4 October 2011, 1425 hours local, countdown, two months, 27 days. Quentin McClintock charged a sorcerer as the man began uttering the words of a spell. Like most folks, the sorcerer didn't realize exactly how fast someone Quentin's size could move. One moment, the truth sorcerer was waving his hands and chanting, and the next minute, Quentin was slamming the four-foot iron rebar into the man's midsection. Quentin felt the ribcage give way as the iron bar folded the man in half. The sorcerer grunted and fell to the ground. He didn't get back up. Quentin whirled on the next sorcerer to take down. The shockwave picked him up and threw him into a wall of the courtyard. As Quentin looked up, he saw what caused the blast. Alan stood in the middle of the courtyard his scarred face scowling as blood poured from his now-broken nose. Jim must have gotten in his first lick. The cowboy picked himself up off the cobblestone ground and dusted himself off. Jim gave Alan a satisfied grin. 
not expecting that? Jim asked. I'll admit that you caught me off guard, Alan said, wiping the blood with hand. So, you've hurt me. You got your lick in. Now, do me a favor and go away before I have to kill you. You're still not getting it, Alan. I'm not letting you leave this courtyard alive. You've caused enough damage, Jim said. Before Alan could respond, Jim charged the truth's lead sorcerer. Alan threw his hand up to cast a shield. Jim bounced off the sudden energy barrier, but he didn't fall back. Instead, Jim angled the bounce to hit a wall to Alan's right and launched off from the wall to attack the sorcerer from a new direction. It was like human billiards. Alan tried to swing his shield around, but Jim's fist connected with the sorcerer's body first. Alan grunted and slid back a few feet. Nice trick, Jim, Alan grunted, holding his injured side. Looks like I'm going to have to actually take you seriously. About time, Jim answered, wrapping his scraped and bleeding fist with a couple of handkerchiefs. Just to make it clear, I don't want to kill you. I'll stop the moment you relent, Alan said, trying to plead with the cowboy. Don't you worry about that. I'll relent when you're dead, Jim said. The courtyard grew silent. Everyone's attention was riveted on the two combatants. Jim and Alan were still as statues as they stared at each other. Tense moments passed. Die, Alan yelled, releasing a bolt of black-purple energy. Jim slid under the bolt like a baseball player sliding in the home plate. Alan stepped back as Jim leaped up with a punch. Jim pressed forward with a few series of jabs. Quentin recognized the movements from Chief Stahl's training sessions, but these were faster and more fluid. Alan blocked the strikes, but just barely. He was clearly surprised by Jim's sudden speed. Alan snap-kicked the cowboy, but Jim slid to the side to avoid the blow. It was a trap that Jim saw just before Alan thrust a glowing hand into the cowboy's chest. Jim screamed in pain as the blow drove him to the ground. Jim could barely breathe as he tried to stand. Alan strode over to stand over Jim. Why? Why did you try this? The sorcerer demanded. I gave you chance after chance to avoid this fate. Now you're going to die in some far-off land. What made you think you could kill me? Jim reached to the small of his back and pulled something out. With impossible speed, Jim leaped up and grabbed the truth sorcerer. Before Alan could react, Jim drove the small knife into his chest. Thunder rocked the courtyard. Alan staggered back, looking at the crude knife in disbelief. Made a deal with the spirits of Raven and Coyote. Seems they were a mite bit put out when you defiled their holy ground back in Wyoming. I kill you and they'll see about getting your curse off my daughter. Seemed a fair trade, Jim said, still holding the burn from Alan's chest strike. Spirit knife, Alan asked. Blood came out of his mouth as he spoke. Jim just nodded. Alan looked around. I should have believed the Levant scroll. His eyes focused on Jess. A look of sudden realization came across his face.
Why didn't I see it before? Alan asked, staring at Jess. The girl brought up her rifle as the sorcerer took a step before. Of course. You're the... Before he could finish the sentence, Alan crumpled to the ground. Sudden memories flooded Quentin's mind. He jumped up and sprinted across the courtyard. He quickly grabbed his two friends and fled down the nearest alley. He'd barely made 20 feet before the courtyard erupted into a mystical explosion. The next thing Quentin knew, he was off the ground. The three zombie hunters shakily stood up. Billy jumped down from a nearby roof. Jess let out a happy squeal as the spirit puff snuggled up next to her. Jim, are you good to go? Quentin asked, looking at the cowboy. Jim gave a pained smile. Good enough, Jim wheezed. Quentin gave him a skeptical look. Jim's chest still looked like he'd run into a hot iron, and it sounded like he'd broken some ribs. Jim waved off Quentin's concern. I'm hurt, but we need to get to that truck. The team needs us if we're going to survive to find the city of the dead. Jess walked over and examined the wounds. Jim, we need to get you back to the Steve, Jess said. The fastest way to do that is to get the truck, the cowboy insisted. I don't like it, but he's right, Quentin said. Jess, take the point with Billy. Jim, you stay close and be careful. Jess gave Quentin a cold stare but didn't say anything. She stormed up the alley with Billy in tow. The pup's tail swished nervously. Quentin helped Jim out of the alley, each man holding a pistol. The quartet picked their way through the streets. Something about the magical explosion from Alan's death pushed the zombie hordes away from this part of the city. They could hear the echoing moans, but they didn't come across a single undead. Quentin smiled bitterly as they reached the truck. He carefully lifted Jim into the driver's seat. The cowboy was weak, but he dismissed all of Quentin's attempts to have him lie down. Jim was the best driver Zombie Strike had, especially for large vehicles. Jim waited as Jess and Billy climbed up on the roof. He gave Quentin a confident smile and put the truck in gear. Even hurting and weak, Jim easily navigated the large SUV through the streets of Odessa. Jess's rifle cracked as zombies tried to stop them. Jim rolled over a few more. In a few moments, they were behind the rest of the team. Let's go, Mateo said as the truck pulled up. The zombie strike loaded the wounded seraph into the truck before piling in. As soon as the chief closed the rear door, Jim spun the truck back to the docks. He didn't even give Jess the chance to kill zombies. He simply sped past a few hordes that tried to get in their way. In less than 10 minutes, Jim was crashing through the marina's gate and sliding the truck next to the docks. At Mateo's command, Zombie Strike leaped out of the truck and stormed onto the yacht. As expected, there was no one aboard. Chief Stahl and Sports sprinted to the ship's control deck as Quentin started cutting the ropes. He'd cut three before he realized Jim wasn't on the boat. Matt, where's Jim? Quentin yelled. The team leader looked back at him in surprise. What? He's not with you? Mateo asked back. The two immediately sprinted back to the truck. They found their friend behind the wheel, looking all the world as if he was asleep. Except he wasn't breathing. Quentin gingerly lifted Jim's lifeless body out of the truck's cab. He fought back tears. Quentin knew Jim 
had been hurt worse than he let on? Why didn't he force Jim to go back to the Steve? Mateo gripped Quentin's shoulder and gave him a knowing look. Wordlessly, the two zombie hunters walked back to the ship. There would be time to talk after they'd made their escape. As they laid Jim's body down on the deck, the guardians appeared. Quentin gave the two stone-faced Aztecs a murderous look. If they noticed it, they ignored it. So where are we supposed to go now, Quentin demanded. The sorcerer told you, you. the guardians answered. Quentin stared at them as his mind replayed the battle in the courtyard. What had Alan said that told him where to go? His mind came to Alan's dying words. He should have paid attention to the... Quentin dashed up to where Chief Stahl and Sport were easing the ship out of port. We need to get to Jerusalem as fast as possible. The last clue is about to be destroyed. Bad Moon Rising Read about it at Derek-Ward.com Hey, check out BlackManWithAGun.us That's BlackManWithAGun.us That's our new online store for all things on Black Man With A Gun. Logo gear and targets and 3D stuff and that's all kind of stuff going to be on there. If you have a product that you'd like to sell, let me know. Contact me at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. Special thanks to Barbara for the hard work in getting in contact with Miss Julie G. Thank you, Miss M, for another contribution. Thanks, Derek, for the hard work and getting it under the wire, man, for Zombie Strike number 104. And thank you for being a part of my life. Hope I hear from you soon and hope you listen to the next podcast of Black Man with a Gun. Remember, our website and the show notes will be at KenNBlancher.com or BlackManWithAGun.com. All right, that means it's time to go. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Black Man with a Gun podcast sponsored by CrossbreedHolsters.com. If you want to reach me for anything at all, you can contact me at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com or call me at 888-675-0202. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes. I will dry them all I'm on your side When times get rough And friends just can't be found Like a bridge over rise to meet you. May the winds be 
always at your back. May the sunshine warm upon your face, the rains fall soft upon your fields, and until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. Shalom, baby. Well, sister, the time has come for me to ride hard and fast.